All right, everybody, welcome back to the showcast. Adam and I currently, at the time you were listening to us, are at DeSale University once again using their studio for an in-person interview this time around. Uh, we are joined by an award-winning illustrator, inker, whatever it is you want to call it. I'm sure we'll get further classification on it as we go through the interview. But for both Marvel and DC, which we are all fans of, and he's going to be doing a, a artist residency at ArtsQuest in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, please welcome to the podcast, Mr. Scott Hanna. Scott, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. I feel like we should applause. Cause we're actually well, we can that. now. We got the... <laughs> <laughs> Not usually, the studio. Yeah. usually it's over the phone applause doesn't quite yeah that doesn't quite, quite the same thing yeah. yeah so this is going to be a little uh different as we've been talking to scott while we were uh preparing for this a little unorthodox as we have <laughs> not really prepped for this interview but we did it intentionally because we're gonna kind of treat this more like a conversation than than anything else so um tell us a little bit about as I said, we'll get further classification on like the inker and illustrator and things like that. I know. Have you ever seen the movie? I, I'm, immediately, I'm going right to a movie reference. <laughs> have you ever seen uh, Chasing Amy with? No, never Kevin? heard of that no, one uh, with the inkers. Yeah, with yeah. the inkers I'm and the not tracers. A tracer, yes. <laughs> so I mean, is there really a big? I mean, with an with an inker, are you pretty much what fills in? the color explain it because <laughs> I, I i'm curious myself okay normally the way i work in comics is it's a multi-stage process that it was actually developed kind of on the animation um uh program of different people doing different parts so you can get a high quality product out in a short amount of time um, one person could write pencil ink color letter a comic book but it would usually take a long time to do that, so you couldn't put out a monthly product. And most of the comics I work on come out every month, sometimes every two weeks. Um, and so what they did was they split up the different chores between different people all working together. It's what I call collaborative art, just like a music group. Um, you know, a lot of people working together can produce high, higher quality stuff. So we normally start with a writer writing a script, and that writer may or may not have any artistic ability whatsoever. <laughs> um, usually not, but sometimes there are exceptions. And then it goes to a penciler. The penciler can do very rough drawings, which are called thumbnails or breakdowns, uh, or they can do very, very tight finished drawings. I work either way with either chore. Then it goes to the inker or the finisher. When I'm a finisher, I get, I'm working with very rough pencils and it's called finisher because I finish the pencils and then I ink it. Um, and when I'm just a straight inker, it may be very, very tight pencils, but I'm still going to be adding my touch of, I'll add textures, shading. I'm very good with anatomy, so I might fix things that are wrong. Mm -hmm. And this uh, is all it, still by hand? Uh, I, I'm very low tech because I started doing this way before we had computer technology <laughs> that could do it. We now have computer programs that mimic what I do by hand okay. very, very well. So a lot of the new generation is totally switching over to digital. And coloring has been digital for most of the past, like 15, almost 20 years. We've been doing digital coloring. And that made a gigantic leap in the quality of the product. Right. And uh, so, yeah, then after I'm done with the pen and ink work, basically I do the black plate of the imagery. And then it goes to the colorist, and the colorist, um, in a sense, it's almost like a coloring book that they fill in those line drawings with color. But because they have the computer technology, they can take, say, if it's a Green Lantern energy beam, I'll do it as a black line, but the colorist can turn that black line into a green line and glow, and, all hmm. these, and they can add all these special effects. Mm -hmm. Um, that I can't even do or that I could also do in, in the computer as well. Um, then there's also a letterer who adds those little captions and word balloons and stuff like that, which is also done digitally now. So in the early days when I started out, they hand-lettered on the actual pages before the inking was done, and the inker had to be careful not to like <laughs> to go, over mess up, go over the top of the letter. Yeah. So things have changed a lot in the past several years. Yeah, in the present day with comic books now, because I, I collected comic books when I was younger. I kind of fell out of it for a while. And now I'm a regular at my comic book shop every Wednesday. I'm actually missing it being here today recording the interview. <laughs> but every Wednesday, I'm a regular at my comic book shop. We're a nice close-knit group. We always hang out till the store closes and the owner kicks us out. And uh, So I'm, I'm back into it. There's, you know, a number of titles I get every, uh, you know, every week or every month. Uh from start to finish, how many people would you say, you said it's a team effort, but how many people would you say it takes to create one one issue of a comic book from right to finish? 
Well, typically it's, you know, like I said, there are five different parts. There's writer, penciler, inker, colorist, letterer, and they're all combined or held together by the editorial team. Usually Mm -hmm. there's a major editor, like a group editor and an assistant editor. But sometimes, like I'm working on a book called Convergence, which just came out Mm -hmm. today. And that, because that's a weekly series that's a combination of, like, they have different teams every week, or, or they might have four different writers on the book. They might have four different pencilers on the single issue if it's, a, you know, more than 20 pages. So um, I prefer it if it's just a standard five that are always working together every month, but other times they just throw a whole army of us together <laughs> and just get us going. Yeah, I mean, especially with probably like a title like Convergence, which is a big storyline in the DC universe right now. Yes. So it's... Um, and uh, I haven't, I haven't had a chance to read. I'm more of the kind of person where I will, uh, if I know it's only going to be like a five or six part series, I'll, yeah, I'll get them the every week. <laughs> well, I'll get the issues every week, but I'll wait until all those parts are out. Okay, like because I don't want to wait. And I binge read exactly. Yeah. <laughs> See, it's been around. Other than Convergence, what are some other current titles that you're working on that people might know? Uh, well, I just wrapped up Futures End, which was the big major crossover at DC right before Convergence started. I'm working on Batman Eternal for DC uh, over at Marvel. I'm working on Avengers Versus and Ultimate End. Ultimate just, End just is actually very similar to Convergence mm-hmm. in the sense, but it's the Marvel version. It's the Secret Secret Wars. Yeah, it's a yeah. tie into Secret Wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it's I, for some reason I'm working on a lot of these big crossover <laughs> things at the moment. Um, actually, things are kind of like in flux for me before I get another regular monthly title. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm still having a lot of fun because I'm, I'm getting to work on like all the big characters at both companies. All yeah. Once. It's, it's uh, lots of amazing stuff. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Future's End. Is that the one that has the exhibit over at yes. ArtsQuest? Um, yeah. The, um, at ArtsQuest, I've had an exhibit up for the past month and a half, actually. I've got, I think I've got almost another month to go. Yeah, I think June. Uh, yeah, in, in June, and that's actually one entire issue of one of my Future's End issues, um, and it's actually where Superman finally gets brought back into okay. action, um, and uh, usually when I have exhibits, I have like kind of a smattering of the history of my stuff <laughs> over the years, because I've been doing this for a long time, <laughs> um, and also it's... It's hard to like pick and choose which is your favorite. So, right. Okay, okay. Do I want to put up like you know Batman or Spider Man or X Men or you know is it is it a movie tie in or whatever? But in this case, I actually wanted to do kind of what are an entire issue of a comic book looks like from page one all the way through page twenty in this case. So anybody you know seeing the exhibit can go from one page to the next and literally kind of see the whole sequence of images. Okay, and have the artist? I mean, we mentioned the. The artist residency has that. Did you just sign on for that recently? Um, actually, no. That's just wrapping up. Actually, oh, okay. Um, okay. So I unfortunately, yeah, this is happening kind of after the fact. Is I just did um, a, a slideshow lecture at Artist mm-hmm. Quest, uh, and then last some kind weekend, of sketch off or something yeah, like that. La- I last saw. weekend we had what's called they called it a sketchathon, but sketchathon. Really, um, it was just an, an excuse for a whole bunch of artists to get together, draw from live models. I was drawing as well but i was also kind of like teaching it was it was kind of an informal class for the people who needed a class and then there were a lot of other professional artists who just you know do their thing yeah it'd have been cool to push people to that because that sounds really cool because uh, i saw that i was like yeah oh, that we also had like one of the things uh one of my favorite topics is i love anatomy i teach mm-hmm. anatomy in my school and so we actually had a model in an, um, an anatomy muscle suit <laughs> uh, so, which was really, I mean, it just looked really neat that, you know, people could see what the muscles looked yeah. like, like the skin was gone, basically. <laughs> and actually the freakiest part was that the eyes never closed because it had like a full face mask. You could, it, it looked like it was a mannequin, but it was really a person in this outfit. <laughs> uh, but the people drawing had a blast because a lot of times it's really hard to understand what the muscles are. Right. And here you're seeing it right out there. So I was helping, you know, that's pretty cool. Teach at the same time as just have fun drawing. Yeah. And then, um, before we go off on too many tangents. So if they want to see, uh, your exhibit, I, I'm most of the information's on artsquest.org. Right. Yeah. Right. And then, um, your classes you had mentioned too, is that arts and fashion That is correct. Okay. Yes. Arts and fashion. And then Institute. did you have any coming up? 
Uh, yeah, I'm actually just about to start a couple of uh, new sessions of classes. I've got uh, normally I teach on Saturdays and Tuesdays. Tuesdays are um, like my six week and 12 week classes. Saturdays are more aimed at uh, younger kids and are like four week classes. But I've got classes in uh, comics and manga art for kids and uh, adults. I've got classes in inking for comics, and one of my favorite classes is sequential art, uh, tying into the Future Zen exhibit, where I teach how to tell a story with pictures. And that ties in even to movies, like you were talking about before. Mm -hmm. Movies are sequential art, video games are sequential art, animation is, and comic books are. So I use reference of all those different media when I teach the, that class. Uh, you, you said, I mean, sticking with the art, and you, had, you just mentioned video games as being part of a sequ sequential art. There's been a lot of Marvel games. There's been a lot of DC games and things like that. Have you ever done any of the illustrations or any of the artwork for, for the game that inspire any of the I've games? I've done some of the character design artwork for some of the games, mostly, actually, I think only for the, uh, some of the Marvel games. Okay. Uh, like the ultimate uh, uh, version of... Uh, games i forget which ones exactly but yeah normally they they kind of peg me to help do the character designs and the costumes and things like that mm -hmm. um but most of the time i'm pretty much full-time comic books okay and i like it that way because i have like total freedom <laughs> yeah and <laughs> you've been doing it obviously for a very long time um uh, one of the things I'm curious, I know this is probably, I talked to Adam about this question and I'm sure it's probably a ridiculously easy question to answer, but have you ever met Stanley? Yes, I've met, I've worked with him several times on several different projects. Uh, one of my favorites was the last Fantastic Four story that Stanley wrote, John Romita Jr. drew and I inked. Um, and I've talked to him on the phone several times when I was working on these projects, but mm -hmm. The only times I've actually met him were kind of like quickly at a convention to say, hi, how you doing? You know, I got to work with you. And and I think to him, you know, outside of the phone conversations when we're actually working together, it's more, it's just a very casual, wow, I got to work with Stan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, because when you think of Marvel, that's probably one of the main people that you think oh, of. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's incorporated in everything from, you know, the origin of Marvel all the way up into the Marvel movies that are out right now. And it makes me wonder, is there anybody of that caliber on the other half of it for DC? Is there anybody that you would kind of equate to that, to um, like a Stan Lee level with DC? Well, there, there are actually a lot of artists and writers that I grew up reading their stuff that I've gotten to work with over the years. Um, a lot of them at both companies. I mean, I got to work with like Chris Claremont and John Byrne uh, at the Marvel side. I got to work with artists like uh, Jim Aparo, um, Mike Grell was actually a really strong influence in my early uh, childhood. Um, Kurt Swan was another fantastic art. I, I think he did the cover of the very first superhero comic book I ever got, and I got to work with him. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one of those dream things of like meshing the fanboy that's always inside <laughs> you with your professional career and having it all tied together. Mm -hmm. So I've been very fortunate. Yeah, you mentioned meeting uh, Stan at a con, you know, or anytime you run into him or cons like that. Do you do the cons often? Um, I'm starting to do cons a little bit more, and they're actually popping up all over the yeah. place now. Yeah. Uh, it seems like they're way more than there used to be. Yeah. Um, I for for a very long period, I just I'm such a workaholic, I don't have time to do many cons. Um, but it's a good way to promote yourself and really meet the fans and. The other thing, like, there have been creators I've worked with for, like, decades and never met them in person. Then I finally go to a convention and it's like, oh, that's who you are, <laughs> you know? It's, it's really weird that, you, I mean, you literally work with these people for years, but you never see them. You never really even talk to them now with the Internet. So a uh, convention for me is a, a get-together with the other professionals as well as the fans. Yeah, and it's kind of funny because Comic-Cons are so different from other conventions. Like, other conventions, that's normal. You always go to meet your peers and stuff like that. But right. now with comic cons, they're just they're a completely different monster. Well, I they're they're also getting. I mean, I like comic cons in all the different levels. Like, mm -hmm. I love the really small ones because then I can actually really get to talk to the fans. Right. I love the gigantic ones because they're just insane. It's <laughs> overwhelming. <laughs> like, I actually, I'm going to be doing a New York special edition in a couple of weeks. And that's the smaller version of the of big sure. one in yeah. October, but that is just gigantic, you know. And uh, and it's it, it's 
it, there's so much energy, there's so much enthusiasm. And I think with, with today's technological world of everybody, you know, in inter internet chat rooms and stuff, conventions are that excuse to actually all get together in person. Right. Have a real society. You were talking about, you know, going to comic book stores mm -hmm. as your weekly get together. The convention is just that on a worldwide <laughs> scale kind mm -hmm. of thing. And it's, it's so cool. It's, it's, it's our world, you know, the geeks rule. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, you did, didn't you do Allentown last year? Yeah, Allentown, I've, Allentown? I've done Allentown a couple of times. Okay. Yeah. Do you know so. if they're doing that again this year? Cause I know they branched off and did one down they in did the Philadelphia. They did a bigger one. Ben actually got to go to that one. I was yeah. at Allentown last year. Are they doing that again this year? Um, they're still doing, um, I think Allentown a couple of times a year. Okay. So, yeah. They're, it's, like I said, it seems like every time I turn around, there's a convention. I'm I'm even doing uh, a lot of small library conventions in uh, New Jersey and filled in Pennsylvania area uh, because the libraries really love the fact that comic books and graphic novels teach kids how to read. Yeah, <laughs> and they keep them coming back. It's exciting for them to read as opposed to this boring thing you have to do. Yeah, right. It's actually something because of the movies and the toys and everything else. It's really exciting. It's fun. It's um, so they're encouraging that in the school system and the library system. And now libraries are starting to do these little mini cons. And I love it. It's great. Yeah. Um, when you go to the cons and, and, and stuff, now that you're just starting to do them, like uh, when you do Allentown and things like that, and you set up a booth at the cons, and do you do illustrations while you're sitting at your booth for, for fans to come around, or do you just do them for people to see? And um, Well, normally the way I always did conventions for years was, um, the only way I actually made money at conventions was people would come up to me and say, draw Batman. And mm -hmm. I would get paid to draw whatever character they asked me to draw. And I still do that. That's my, my main thing is I just do whatever drawings uh, people want. Because we have the internet now, a lot of times people actually get pre-commissioned lists for me going for so they can pick it up at a convention. Mm -hmm. So I might do a bunch of drawings ahead of time. Um, I've had times where I've got a really tight deadline with a project. I'm actually inking pages of an actual comic book at the show, <laughs> but that's not really recommended because there's so much jostling and yeah. distractions going on. I try not to do that whenever possible. But nowadays I'll also sell uh, prints of my artwork or actually even uh, the actual comic books that I work on. Okay. Um, so people can come to me and I'm not quite like a store representative thing, but I have a small rack of some of my current projects or even my older projects. So people can see, you know, what I'm working on and recognize the fact, oh, yeah, it's that guy that, it, I mean, there's so many conventions that people get mixed up who's who. Mm -hmm. And I, it's nice to, for people to know who are the real professionals as opposed mm -hmm. to who are the, like, amateur wannabe artists who still are selling prints of Batman and Superman, even though they've never professionally worked on those characters. Right. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of those type of people. So the, the professionals have to kind of, you know, you have to make a statement, I guess. Have you ever had anybody, because you mentioned everybody comes up to you and asks you to draw something. Have you ever had anybody either come up to you and show you a tattoo of one of your drawings or ask you to do a drawing for them to get a tattoo of? I, several times I've specifically been asked to do a tattoo design, which is very intimidating yeah. because you know this is going to be permanently, permanently on yeah. their body, so you don't want to screw it up and do your, yeah. you know, do your mistaken drawing. Um but only a few times I've actually gotten to see the end results, mm -hmm. you know, so I've seen. Were you happy with how it turned um, out? Oh, yeah. I, Were they happy well, with how it turned well, out? Yeah, well, one, one of the first ones I think was at San Diego. Somebody said, I want you to do this Wolverine drawing where he's standing in profile with his claws popped and it's going to go on my whole side over here. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, wow, that sounds really cool. So I did the drawing and then I was back again the next year. And he showed me the tattoo, and then he said, "Now on this other side, <laughs> I want a werewolf." And then, so, so, uh, so that's actually—I mean, it's just you can't get more flattering yeah. than that to have somebody's, you know, permanently inscribed. Yeah, because I, I have artwork. one tattoo, and it's of like my family crest, and I'm, I, I, I'm okay with getting another one, but I'm so weary of what I get. Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to get something that I'm going to regret. So that made me think. I'm like. You know, that wouldn't be a bad idea. Getting a <laughs> tattoo of like a professional, someone who's done Marvel and DC and stuff like that. So I'm sure I figured I'm, somebody had to have asked you at some point in the past. Yes. It's, it's a fun, actually, uh, I know some professional inkers in comics that their side job is tattooing. Oh, it's really? very similar to what inkers do. Did you ever think about trying it? 
I, I'm kind of queasy with blood, so I, I don't think I'd make a very good <laughs> Not tattoo. Not for you, though. Yeah. No. Uh, I know you had mentioned uh, New York Comic Con, too, and I went to New York last year, and New York is its own separate monster right now. I mean, it's... It, I, I think it's going to be bigger than San Diego this year. I think that's what they're trying to do. Yeah. And, I mean, and I don't knock a lot of conventions. We're We're fans of Wizard World conventions because they have theirs down in Philly, and there's, I mean, from... Night and day from last year, they've stepped up their game and, you know, it's been huge. And the only complaint I had with New York last year was New York was just too many people. It's just, <laughs> yes. it's a mass of people. But, a bigger space than Javits Center. Yeah. But, and I think it's outgrowing Javits Center, actually, because it's becoming so popular. But one of the things I noticed, you know, from previous cons from Wizard World and New York Comic Con, and especially at New York Comic Con, is a lot of people that go to these conventions don't realize that Artist Alley exists. <laughs> they go for the celebrities. They go for the shopping booths and things like right. that. I happen to go to New York with two good friends of mine and a friend of mine. One of them is, is big into the comic book art and things like that. And he's the one that took me down the hallway at New York to Artist Alley. And it, Artist, yeah, it's a whole separate section. It's a whole separate totally section. Yeah. And it's huge. It's gigantic. And yeah. when you walk around that section and you look at some of the artwork, a lot of this artwork is still fresh. Like, it hasn't really picked up, gained the speed that it's going to get. And the example I use is that a buddy, my friend that I was with, actually met the artist that did uh, the artwork for Spider-Gwen. Oh, yeah. And this was before... Issue number one of Spider Gwen had came out, had come out. And it was right after the Edge of Spider Verse issue uh, debuting her. So he got the artist to draw the cover, autographed it. It's now framed in his apartment, and that now is huge to him because of how popular that has become since Absolutely he got right. that artwork. Well, that that's one of the great things about, especially large shows like New York, that. You have a lot of the veteran artists like I am, but you have a lot of these beginners who are just breaking in and you, you never know exactly who's going to become a superstar, but there mm. are going to be new superstars that keep, you know, coming up and there's some phenomenal talent that's out there. And a lot of the guys who are doing independent books may end up, you know, getting a breakout hit. A lot of guys doing independence may cross over to Marvel or DC or, or some of the bigger companies. You never know what's going to happen. And yeah, just, just wandering through there. Like as, as a kid, I used to go to shows, but they were never near the scale mm -hmm. of New York. But to me, it was better than going to a museum because you're seeing the artwork and you're getting to meet the actual people who do that mm -hmm. artwork. Right. And they're doing it right in front of you. It's like magic that you can actually see them creating this stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I just really, that's one of the things I love about it. And the special edition New York show that I'm doing in two weeks, that's kind of like artist alley without the rest of the convention. Okay. Okay. So that's why I like the special edition because it's so much about the comic book artist mm -hmm. specifically. Are there people that go to that a little more interactive too? Well, I think this is only the second year that they've done it. Oh, okay. And they, they actually changed the location. It was a Javits last year and this time it's a Pier 94 or something like that. Okay. Um, so I haven't seen the new location yet. Um, but I'm, if it's anything like what last summer's event was, it's going to be a spectacular show. And, and again, I love it because a lot of the people who just go for the art, you know, for the artists, they know to go to the show and that they know it's its own convention, basically. Yeah. Is it still, uh, and I can lead this into another question too, but is it still the kind of convention where a lot of people cosplay and, and dress up? Yes. And absolutely. things like that. Uh, how does it, I mean, obviously as the as the inker and the illustrator you're you're not the creator of the character i mean you're in essence you're creating the character itself but you're not the initial you know creator of the character from years past but is it ever have you ever done a version of a character in a comic book that you've seen somebody cosplay oh um, yeah many and, times i mean i've i've been in on like um again i the inker is not usually listed as creator but i've drawn first versions of mm -hmm. many characters like um you know, I was at the beginning of the Nightfall storyline where Bane was introduced. Okay. So I've seen, you know, Bane many, both the, the comic book version as opposed to the movie version. Mm -hmm. um, the Scarlet Spider was one of the things I worked on when it was first introduced, the, the first version of that character. Um, there have been dozens of others. But, yeah, it's it's always fun just to see, you know, it come to life. I mean, I I really enjoy cosplayers. I it, Again, when I go to some place like New York City or Baltimore and I see the streets just like 
You know, it, it's like this is this is a comic book come to life because superheroes are walking the streets of Manhattan. It is so cool. It's to me, it's 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 just a blast to see that. And people they, don't look twice. That That's the best part. Well, it, it well some people do definitely look twice. <laughs> Most but, people don't. <laughs> but but a lot of people, yeah. Oh yeah, this is just normal. And and literally to me, it's like my comic book has yeah. has materialized into total three. It's better than a movie. It's a real physical thing. So wild! It's so cool to see some of the costumes yeah. that people. Oh use. yeah, and they get so elaborate. Do you ever watch that show? What was yeah. it? Heroes, <laughs> Heroes of Cosplay. Heroes of Cosplay. Yeah, yeah, cosplay yeah. Yeah. yeah, actually, um, my wife teaches cosplay. She's a fashion designer. Yeah, she in her school. So I saw she did uh, Project Runway. Right? Yeah, she she was on yeah. Project Runway, but several of her students are actually major cosplayers. Oh really? So, That's cool. Because uh, cosplayers usually to win the awards at the uh, competitions. You can't just buy a costume and wear it. You have to physically oh, yeah, you make, make it, your own yeah. stuff. And so a lot of people are going to real seamstresses, to real you know fashion design schools to really learn how to make this. And they have to not just even make the outfit, but they have to make the armor. They have to make the boots. They have to make that, you know, every piece of these right. things they're creating from scratch. It's just amazing. I, I learned that the hard way last year for Wizard World. I cosplayed for the very first time, had never done it before, but I wanted to attempt it. I wanted right. to live that for once. I'm so glad I did it because it was so much fun, Just not just the attention that I got, but, I mean, kids coming up to me. And I cosplayed as Shredder from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, and, the original. Uh, the original from the cartoon. Right. Purple from, one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, but just, like, kids coming up to you and asking to take pictures and getting the pose. Like, it was just – it was so much fun. It was such a blast. Well, in – it's another way that um, the the fans get to become real life superheroes. Not just dress that way. It's their it's their secret identity. You mm-hmm. get to be put a, another persona. A lot of the fans are very sh- shy, quiet people. But you put on this costume mm-hmm. and you're yeah. another person. Yeah, and it's great. And you know to get that kind of feedback from you know the the attendees and stuff to have your picture taken. It's a thrill. It's you get to that feeling of what you know a rock concert perf- musician feels like when they're on stage, or or as you say, like it's that. like how the uh, characters at Disney World feel. Every Exa- day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I to to have any average person with a little bit of time and skill right. can actually get into that place. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah, I, I went wearing a Shield T-shirt and a Yoda backpack. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's not quite. <laughs> Nobody asked for my picture. <laughs> Uh, before, I guess, before we, we change topics and go into like movies and television and things like that, are there any comic books other than Marvel and DC that you've worked on or are there any that you would like to that you know of? Uh, well, one of my favorite characters that I haven't had a chance to work on yet is Hellboy. You know, okay. Knows Hellboy. I've actually known Mike uh, very lightly for a very, I, I actually think I first met him and saw his artwork before he officially broke into comics mm. and stuff. And, uh, He's a, in, in a weird way, he's responsible for me getting work at DC Comics. Uh, but that's another one. Sorry. <laughs> um, but anyway, so yeah, I'd love to work on, on something like that for Dark Horse. But general, and right now, actually, I just did a bunch of covers for Valiant Comics. Okay. Um, uh, with the same pencil I was working with on Future's End at DC, actually. Scott Eaton. Um, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm a free agent, so I can work for anybody. And a lot of times the smaller companies actually give me more of an opportunity to do things like the pencil. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've actually got a, a graphic novel cover that I penciled, inked, and colored that's uh, being published by Dover Graphic Novels. Uh, that one's called Blackjack. Um, and that, I think that's coming out in June. And uh, so uh, occasionally when I get a free moment from Marvel and DC, I'll work for other companies just to, you know, have fun. Yeah, I'm sure they keep you pretty things. busy. <laughs> they they like to keep me busy, yes. and I and I love thing. working for both companies. Yeah. So I, you know, it's like, oh, what a shame! I'm only working on like you know, Spider Man and Batman right now. Oh, that's so horrible. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, but, is, I mean, outside of the inker world and the the actual physically people working on the comic books, you would think, you know, someone who does Marvel and DC stuff, that's like someone working for Coke and Pepsi. It is, but it, is it, it is in a lot of ways. Is it yeah. co- more common though in in the inker it, world? The fans don't really understand how the professionals act right. because in the professional world, there's so much crossover between the two companies. They're almost like the same company. Um, uh, an example of that is 
Uh, I actually started working for DC when I was first getting started, um, had an exclusive with them for a couple of years. And then my very first editor at Marvel was, uh, I got to work on Wolverine, and the editor was Bob Harris, who later became the editor-in-chief at Marvel, is now currently the editor-in-chief at DC. Okay. So, I mean, there's so much crossover yeah. between the two. And so a lot of even the, you know, his staff that used to be over at Marvel 20 years ago is now at DC. And I'm still working for, him, you know, so it, it, and, and that happens all the time. Like if I wrap up a project at DC and they don't immediately have something ready for me, and Marvel does, I kind of just take whatever comes in first. Um, and so, and I, I kind of like the both sides, you know, there are different characters, you know, it would be, it would be weird for me to say, you know, Oh, I always want to work on Batman, but I never got a chance because I've been exclusive to Marvel. I've had the luxury of, I can work for either company so I can kind of pick and choose whichever ones I want. Mm -hmm. It's it's surprising to me too with with so much crossover of, of artists and editors and things like that that it's been so long and maybe it's more uh, the financials of the of the companies and the companies trying to make money on their own but I'm surprised it's been so long since there's been a DC Marvel crossover. Yes, I I actually one of the things I'm um, really proud of is I got to work on the first Spider-Man Batman crossover mm. and it did happen twice. There was a Spider-Man Batman and a Batman Spider-Man. And at the time I was working on Spider-Man for one company and Batman for the other company. But I think it's all, it's almost like, um, especially now that Marvel has been bought by Disney and Disney and Warner brothers, which owns DC are very much rival companies. Right. Um, it's not quite as kind of familial as it used to be in the old days. It's a little bit more corporate than it used to be. Mm -hmm. So I very much doubt we're going to have very many crossovers yeah. any, anytime soon. But you never know. I Maybe mean, Disney if, will buy DC. It, well, if there's enough <laughs> demand from the fans, yeah. you know, well, it mean, might happen. Yeah, with the Civil War, they have Spider-Man supposedly coming over to the movie aspect of yes well that's, with Sony that's still and, within marvel but right. that's yeah that's but that's if, if two major people. film companies can come to it and maybe there's right hope. yeah exactly <laughs> yeah well i mean uh what was it years ago um who framed roger rabbit had some disney characters and, and warner brothers mm -hmm. characters in right and that's basically the same two companies right. so it can happen so like i said you know if, if enough people demand it or request it it, it may happen again you never know i actually Personally, as a fan, I love that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's been times, I mean, there's been crossovers before of like Hulk and Superman and, and you <laughs> see a lot of people do their own fan artwork and, and stuff like that Absolutely. and kind of create it. I think it would be cool one day if there's enough fan outcry that that could actually happen, that the artist could work on that and, and make that happen again. So, but I mean, going into the movies as you, as we, Adam had mentioned Civil War and everything like that. What, what are your opinions on the film adaptations of a lot of these comic books that you've worked on? Well, I I keep getting more and more impressed as time goes on with the quality level. Uh, it, it seems to me like a lot of the superhero movies keep getting better. Yeah. You, know, you think, oh, we're going to get a glut and it's going to be horrible and they're just like batting this stuff out. It's like, no, they're like, I mean, especially uh, to me, the Marvel universe of films that they're treating it a lot like the source material that in comic books we can tell these incredibly long stories that happen over the span of months and years and it all builds on prior things that happened years before right. and they're starting to treat the movies that way that you know i and it's cool too because i've worked on all this stuff that they're adapting it you know that they're basing this stuff on but they change it in ways that make it modern and different so i can still be fooled by a movie plot and not know what's going on even if it's based on the story i originally did um and but to me the writing is usually spectacular nowadays you know it used to be you'd go to a, a superhero movie it's like okay it's for little kids the parents would kind of just suffer through it and the kids would be having a blast nowadays the adults enjoy just as much as the kids do the writing is deal things like you mentioned civil war for instance mm -hmm. um civil war was a comic book version dealing with some very adult subjects because mm -hmm. We were dealing with the politics in America of how the, you know, the different political parties were at loggerheads and fight, infighting and all this stuff. 
And we started translating that into superheroes and comic books. And so there's some elements of that which work great on just a straight kid level, but there are other elements of that that work very, very well for advanced adults levels. And I know, I just know that when they're doing that in the movies, they're going to treat that the same way. Mm -hmm. They're going to have sophisticated writing. They're going to have great subplots. They're going to have character development and going in when in the early days of superhero movies, I, I would go in thinking it's like, Okay, I know they're going to have 20 gigantic plot holes that don't make any <laughs> sense, but I'll still enjoy the special effects and the costume characters. Now I go in as like, wow, that's a great story. How did they combine all these different elements and still make it work and still want me coming back the next time for what I don't know is going to happen next, <laughs> you know? So I'm just astonished that they keep doing this so well and they keep raising the bar. Mm -hmm. You know, it used to be that the bar was kind of low. <laughs> now the bar is set and the, really, and the bar would really get high. lowered after every iteration. Yeah, after yeah. every every second or third movie, mm -hmm. you expect it to go down in quality. Now you expect every second and third movie to keep getting better somehow. Yeah, yeah. I feel like every Marvel movie that comes out, I'm like, oh, that might be my favorite Marvel movie. That when. When the Avengers came out, I was like, "How can they top this?" Right. Then, then Winter Soldier came out. I was like, "And <laughs> and that's how they did it." it. it and, just... and then Guardians and came Guardians, out, and I'm, yeah. like, I'm like, "Yeah, how do they do this?" It's, <laughs> it's just astonishing. We we uh, you know, when we talk about the movies on the podcast, we'll give them like a rating, like right. one to ten. And for when Avengers two came out, we talked about. It. I was like, "All right, I want to give it a 10, but that means nothing <laughs> can top it. So I can't give it a 10 because I don't know what else they're going to come out with." So I gave it like a nine and a half or something. <laughs> I gave it a ten. I, I didn't care. I gave it a ten. Then I think I gave Guardians a ten too when that came out. So Guardians was so good. Gar I, and Guardians knowing just blew me away. Very yeah. little about Guardians. I mean, I, unlike Ben, I'm not as I wasn't as much of a comic book reader, but I paid attention to it. I always watched. You know, when I was younger, I watched all the cartoon shows. And stuff well, like it, that. it cracked me up when. The Guardians came out because I drew all those characters in the comic books way before it got turned into a movie. So several years ago, if I mentioned Groot to anybody, I'd just get this total mystified <laughs> glare. Like, what the heck are you? you know, Rocket Raccoon, nobody in the world knew who, what I was talking about. My new even, favorite Marvel character. Even though I had drawn these characters <laughs> yeah. for years. And now I mention it and everyone's like, I love Groot, I yeah. love Rocket, you know? It's like, so to, that's another thing that, that just cracks me up that you know it it becomes this popular culture thing when it started out as just these little drawings on a page that we Did, have you noticed like a kind of ebb and flow with the comic industry when the movies start coming out and stuff like that has it really like exploded the comic book world people trying to get into it now with the um, movies? i actually i don't really pay attention to a lot okay. of that the the kind of business end of it or, or whatnot i know that um Comics are very much of an international uh, effect now that the creators come from all over the world. Right. And so when you see a movie like The Avengers grossing, you know, billions of dollars all over the planet, that means everybody all over the planet now wants to draw Iron Man or wants yeah. to draw, you know. So now you have these very talented people coming from everywhere wanting to do Marvel characters or DC characters. So there's a lot of competition, but in a very good way. It's very talented people, and um, and now I I think the comic book companies love it because like wow we get our pick and choose of you know the not just the best people from New York City but the best people from everywhere. Yeah, and it actually animation is very similar to that. Like uh, if you look at you know DreamWorks or Pixar, they get animators from all over the world. They get the best of the best coming in to, and that's how you produce the highest quality you can get, you you get a gigantic talent pool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that has happened very much. Like, you go to most comic book conventions, and the artist alley is international. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are people from everywhere that are in that room all working on the same, you know, for the same company. Yeah. Does that ever make you feel pressured, knowing that there's there's a higher calling well, for... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I get him. Yeah, I guess I guess that was kind of a stupid seniority, <laughs> though. Well, yeah, but I've been doing this for a long time, and I have a very, very good reputation and stuff. But um, art's always a very competitive field, so we're always trying to up our game. And in reality, my job is only as good as what I'm doing right now. You know, if I mm -hmm. injured my hand, I'm out of work. They're not going to say, "Oh, Scott's been doing this for thirty years. <laughs> Let's pity him and give him some work anyway." It's like. 
know if he can't draw well, he's not getting the job. You know? Yeah. So, um, but in, on the other end, art is also one of those things that you keep getting better over time. Mm. So I have that 30 years of experience, which gives me a real edge over all these beginning people who may have amazing talent, but they don't have the experience. They don't have the, you know, all the little tricks you learn over the decades yeah. and stuff like that. So, yeah, I've got an edge over a lot of other people. So I'm not really worried or anything. But at the same time, I'm always trying to up my game. I'm always trying to do better with my next project. Is there some, like, young phenom who's, like, ambidextrous so he can draw <laughs> with both hands in case one goes down? Well, for one of the weirdest things for me is, I don't know why, but supposedly I'm one of the fastest inkers in the industry. And I have been for pretty much my entire career. Like, uh, supposedly... I've inked more pages of comic books than anybody else alive. Wow. Right uh, because I'm so much faster than most other people. And even with now being able to do stuff digitally, I'm still faster than almost anybody else out there. So I don't know why I have that edge, but I have it. And so <laughs> good, far I've kept it. So I'm not, yeah. I, I haven't had. Well, I mean, and the dangerous thing, though, is speed isn't great if right. you lower your quality mm -hmm. with your speed. Yeah. So. My trick has always been to stay as high quality as humanly possible, but still do it quickly. And I'm one of the very few people that's managed to combine those two elements. You have there. to do like steady hand exercises or something. <laughs> like, how do you? Well, I, I, I mean, a typical day of draw at the drawing board might be 12 hours of drawing for me. Wow. And I might work if I've got deadlines, I might be drawing seven days a week. Um, and, during my free time, I teach. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you're drawing a lot. <laughs> so, I, so I draw a lot, and I've been doing this for almost 30 years. Imagine drawing 12 hours a day for 30 years. You get pretty <laughs> used to what you're doing. Yeah. And you get really adept with your tools and your techniques and all that stuff. I still have a hard time coloring inside the lines. So. <laughs> well, I can't, you know, I, I'm only good at one thing, and that's art. Well, <laughs> teaching too. But, but, um, but, yeah, if you try to get me to do... So, like I, I love music, but I can't do music at all. I'm like, I can't play any instruments. I can't <laughs> sing. You never want to hear me sing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, everybody's good at, at something, right? But, you know, you can't be good at everything. <laughs> yeah. I know. Um, as I said, I've been getting back into comics. I've been going to the comic book store, like I said, every Wednesday for almost like two years now. I'm just getting back into it. And one of the things I'm now starting to get into that I know people who've been collecting for years get into are the variant covers. Have you ever had like any of the honors of doing any of those extreme variants for some of those comic um, books? Well, yeah, actually, right now for uh, Secret Wars, for instance, I'm while well, I'm working with Mark Bagley on Ultimate End, and they just asked us to do a Secret Wars alternate cover. And it was so cool because we did like three different versions of Spider-Man. We did Spider-Man 2099, Ultimate Spider-Man, and regular Spider-Man all on the same cover at the same time. Uh -huh. And it's just so fun to get to work on, on things like that on, on rare occasions. Um, but yet yeah, to, for some, normally I'm actually not the like first guy they go to for covers. I'm more like because I'm so reliable and fast and, mm -hmm. and good, they want me on that like, Okay, he can do twenty pages in the deadline we have, so have him do the twenty pages. The you know frequently they give the covers actually to the slower guys because they <laughs> have a little page. bit more. Yeah, it's just one image, so you can yeah you have a month to do a cover. Here you, you can go. you can manage this. Yeah, here's one picture for but, Scott. But here's yeah, twenty pages because they do have the variants that gives me more opportunities to do an occasional cover, which mm -hmm. I really like. Yeah, because I know one of the. Uh, uh, one of the cover, one of the artists that I'm, I'm more familiar with for the variants, and I like to collect this person's variant. It's the Scotty Young variants. Yeah. Oh, which, he's he's phenomenal. Which yeah, the which are part. like the for anybody that's listening <laughs> doesn't know they're like the kid versions yeah, yeah. of all the characters. They're like they're like the Muppet babies of the of the Marvel characters when you do it. So do they look any, like do they look like the pop vinyl things? Yeah, a little bit. They look a little bit I like think the I pop saw vinyls. a T-shirt at Mayfair with somebody. Right. Yeah, they're know. they're just hilarious though. I I love seeing his version of his take on the character. Yeah, I was lucky enough to get like the Spider Gwen number one, Scotty, uh, um, Scotty Young variant and, and things like that. Um, going back to the movies and television and switching to television right now, there's a lot of great television adaptations of some of these shows. We had mentioned Daredevil a little bit earlier. Uh, I think we, we hadn't started the recording yet, but we had mentioned it. And there's other shows like Arrow and Flash and things like that. Now Supergirl. Yeah, there. Yeah, there's Supergirl, there's Shield, there's uh, Peggy Carter, Agent of Shield. I think uh, Marvel's working on a couple others. There's 
I even like uh, uh, AKA Con- Jessica, Constantine. Yeah. AKA um, Jessica Jones is going to be doing is that, another one. Mm-hmm. But to, to me, I could have only in my wildest imagination dream of a time where we could have five comic book based TV shows on air at the exact same time. <laughs> I mean that. And all doing I, well. Yeah, exactly. They're all well done. They're all doing well. Yeah. And I couldn't even, like I said, in my wildest imagination, I would never dream that would be possible. Right. But that shows how popular this kind of storytelling really is right now. It's what people want to see. And I think so much of it is because the creators, um, well, the creators have always, most of the time, the creators have always treated these characters with respect. But now the TV makers, the producers, the, the, uh, the companies have started realizing that, wait, if you treat these characters with respect, with intelligence, with, you know, smart writing, good visuals, you know, good character design, uh, technology has helped a lot too, because we can now show superpowers right. to a much greater degree, uh, believably, you know, I, I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember like the first live action Spider-Man show. I've or, seen, or, I've seen, <laughs> or, or the original or even, Superman with, uh, with, um, George Reeves. George yeah. Reeves, yeah. yeah. I knew it was well, Reeves. Even, I couldn't remember. Even that name. was actually a spectacular show for kids, mm-hmm. you know, but it, adults wouldn't watch that with any <laughs> level of sincerity because it wasn't written for them, you know. Now the modern material is written for kids and for adults, mm-hmm. and it works because they're treating it with the same respect as any other drama uh, on TV, you know. So that, that level, like I said, the, the creators have always tended to look at it that way but it's nice to see the the you know um producers the tv people the movie people treating it with the exact same respect that we've as creators always had for these characters yeah because you know we grew up loving them but we want them also to work for our age mm-hmm. you know? right do you i mean as busy as you are do you have time to watch any of those fantastic unfortunately, shows? <laughs> not as much as i would like yeah unfortunately so yeah i'm i'm kind of uh of you know i kind of like binge on them at the end of a season i might try to like you know watch a whole bunch of them in a row because i generally don't um they're almost too distracting while i'm working because i'm such a workaholic yeah that is like oh that's that's so cool i'll stop going <laughs> for an hour to watch the show an hour like, turns into two yeah. Yeah. right exactly Netflix so i so i kind thing. of have to you know hold off for a little bit and wait till the end of a season right. and then catch up or something yeah i i know i Outside of, I mean, I think with the Marvel movies and the DC movies and the television shows and things like that, I think it's made it more, I, I guess, I'm trying to think of the words to put, but it's it's made it more readily possible for people to come out as as fans of that kind of thing. Because you stop, when I remember when mainstream. I was younger, it's made, it's made it more mainstream. That's a good <laughs> oh, way to put yeah, it. Yeah, it's totally mainstream. Because yeah, I remember yeah. when I was younger in middle school and high school, you you tried not to tell people you were into stuff like that. It's not just mainstream. It's actually popular Mm -hmm. to be a geek. I mean, Mm -hmm. you look at a TV show like The Big Bang Theory, and these guys are the geekiest guys in the universe, and it's one of the most popular shows on TV, and they go to a comic book store almost every (laughs) episode. Um, But, yeah, when I was a kid, you hid the fact that you read comics. You were... Mm -hmm. you weren't quite ashamed, really, but you you could get picked on. It wasn't you information you'd volunteer necessarily. <laughs> Absolutely, and but now, I mean, in reality, they've said this at like conventions like San Diego and, and New York Comic Con that the geeks rule the world. Now. Yeah, I mean, we really do. So a lot more people have that freedom to say allow their inner geek out, you yeah. know, to because most of us have that secret identity we want to let out. We, we want to. The reason I think superheroes especially work is because most of us want to be something beyond what we we are. We want to we want to be our ideal selves. We want to be you know even people sometimes like the villains because they want that inner anger out or <laughs> that inner good or you know in in the modern world we can feel very powerless and giving us a chance that geek element gives us our power back. You know it, it, we can be that superhero. We can be that powerful self and let it out there. And share it with the world and not get picked on about it. People, you know, cosplayers get smiled at. They want photographs taken mm-hmm. with them. You know, reading a comic book is cool now. You know, it's like, so all this stuff to me, it's a wonderful world that we managed to 
especially in, in my professional career, I've seen this, this gigantic change of acceptance through, like, again, it's mainstream now. Right. It used to be, like, when I was a kid, nobody who didn't read a comic book knew who the X-Men were. Nobody knew who Iron Man was. Nobody, they may have heard of Superman and Batman and Spider-Man, but they didn't know who Wolverine was. You know, they didn't, all these characters have become such a, an element of popular culture. And again, they're worldwide phenomena. So I can go anywhere on the planet, tell them I draw superheroes and I'm, I'm <laughs> mm -hmm. totally accepted right away. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of like, like listeners can't see it, obviously, but the shirt I wear right now <laughs> is a shirt you wouldn't. Twenty years ago, I would have never walked out of the house wearing, but I mean, it's it's a reverse Flash T-shirt yeah. that people would first off would have never known it was Reverse Flash because exactly. they never read the comic books. But yeah. now I walk around in the shirt, and people know exactly who the logo is for, and it's and I get complimented like people love the shirt and <laughs> and things like that. So yeah, it's just become so much more popular that people who picked on the nerds and the geeks when they were younger are now nerds and geeks themselves because they're fans of all this stuff now Absolutely. too. Well, even, I mean, I get people all the time who may have never read a comic book in their lives, but they still know something about these characters because of the video games, because of the movies, the TV shows, just the t-shirts, you know, <laughs> I mean, you can't walk around without seeing this stuff everywhere. And, um, to me, that's great. And, and, one of the things I love about comic books is, yeah, it's fun. I love doing it, but I get to entertain other people with what I love to do. And a lot of it, I get to educate people. Because like I said, we treat this as a very smart subject with intelligent, you know, these things are really well. I worked with some of the best writers in the world on comic books. And because you have to be good. You have to tell good stories. You have to put amazing plot twists and and interest you got to get people hooked you got to make people care about the characters that's all smart stuff that's good stuff to know mm. you know so i love the fact that that's now accessible to everybody yeah there's been a number of celebrities that have come out obviously of fans of things like that and there's been a ton of them who have become guest writers and, and things like that i know i think cm punk from wwe well, no longer with wwe did i think the thor annual that came out a couple months ago and i think brian pusain has written comedian brian pusain has written for it before have you ever gotten the chance to work with any of the celebrity writers um i well i, I worked with on spider-man i worked with um uh, Straczynski, who uh, co-created Babylon 5, I think okay. it was. Okay. Uh, so he's probably one of the biggest guys, other than Stan Lee, of course. <laughs> um, but I've actually worked with some major like novelists who crossed over and done some occasional comic books. I've, uh, and a lot of guys like you know Neil Gaiman started out doing comic books. Then he went on to do doing novels and movies. Mm -hmm. Um, but when I worked with him, he was just still known as just a comic book guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the crossover is just uh, um, amazing. And I've worked with many, many different people, uh, in all different aspects. Other than obviously the Marvel and the DC, are there any other franchises that you're fans of? I mean, like Star Wars or Game of Thrones or Doctor Who or, um, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I love Doctor Who, okay. especially, <laughs> you know, the new iterations. I, mm. I, um, I kind of got rehooked on, you know, I, I watched it a little bit when I was a kid. I mostly knew the, I forget which, the doctor with the long scarf. Um, uh, Tom uh, Baker? Tom Baker, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that was Doctor Who for me when I was a little kid. But it's it still, you know, you watch those old episodes again, those were into kids. You know? uh -huh. um, but now just they're, they do, again, amazing stuff. That Very similar to what we do with superheroes, that they brought it up to a totally new level, a multifaceted level where it's great for kids. It's great for adults. Um, so I, I love Dr. Who. I love, I've always been a fan of Star Trek, you know, most of the, the various incarnations of that, uh, got to work on those in the comic books as well. Um, and one of the things I haven't really worked on is the star Wars universe, but I think, uh, now Marvel is now, putting out some star wars stuff so yeah I'm hoping i might get a chance Disney's to work on the, that uh, yeah mutual so. they're right, they're Disney's in my week me. they're in my weekly pool at the comic book yeah, store so <laughs> that, that's something i hope uh, i'll get to you know add to my uh project in the near future because so, i love that stuff yeah, yeah. i'm just i'm just a kid you know? I, <laughs> I, I think i think i'll be uh, a, a, like a 12 to 15 year old for my entire life <laughs> to, well to still be to still enjoy doing this i mean you kind of have to be well, i mean I, for 
you know how long 20 to 30 years if you're if you don't have that like mentality of this is fun you know you're just going to get burnt out that um, well one of the things that i kind of promised myself when i first got started in comics was i said i'm going to do comics as long as i have fun with it mm-hmm. when it stops being fun i'll go do other forms of art um and i've done other things in in my career but it's now going it's getting close to 30 years and i literally still have fun <laughs> so you know and who can say that you know for 30 years doing your job you can be enjoying yourself and having a blast yeah and being a, like i said a little kid at heart yeah. your entire life you know? so hopefully when i'm 70 or 80 i can still <laughs> say that stuff and there's still I, I know stan lee is like that yeah I mean, you meet him he's still <laughs> like a you know even i think when he started uh what we think of as the marvel universe and created like fantastic four and, and spider-man he was already like in his 40s or something like around 40 yeah he's in so his he's, 80s now yeah he's he's something like but the fact i i just saw him last year and he still is the most cheerful upbeat guy you can imagine you can tell he's still a little kid inside yeah, no matter yeah. what his physical age is i love that <laughs> and it's not like there's not still plenty of opportunities i mean even if you continue with the work there's still plenty of other artists that you can work with Absolutely. plenty of other writers that you can work with plenty of other uh, possible future franchise characters that haven't even been developed yet that you'll get to work on. So there's still like, it's still a complete open book for you and the, and the rest of your future with it. Comes Absolutely. To that. Yeah. And it's always changing and adapting and, and stuff. So yeah, what I do now is not the same stuff I was doing 20 years ago. It's always growing and adapting and changing. And, and that's, what's so cool about it. You know, that it can be, you we mentioned secret wars briefly like i was around when the first secret war was coming out i was around you know but the new version is totally different it's got the same name but it's a totally different monster so it is brand new every time i work on something like that yeah and it becomes the comic book industry begin as a comic book purchaser as somebody who, who buys and i don't really exactly i i enjoy them for the reading and the art i don't i don't know i bag and board on my comics but i don't necessarily keep them for you know, for financial gain later on yeah, down the road. Yes, read them. <laughs> uh, and that's and that's what I do. I read them. But it's it's every, every time I get to that point where I feel like I'm buying too many comic books and I kind of tone down my pool, then something like Secret Wars happens, and the now there's all these new nice. comics. I end up buying more than I had eventually yeah. because it, it's, it's a just... trap. Yes, they they try to suck you in and keep you. But, but I enjoy every second of it. So I well, mean, that's like to me. I love the fact that I do something I enjoy and I bring enjoyment to others with what I do. So you yeah. can't do, you can't have a better job than that. Really. Yeah. At uh, Mayfair, you're teaching some kids how to draw Batman better than I could draw Batman. So <laughs> <laughs> well, I could teach you too, if yes. you want to. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. My, uh, I know you had the, um, those pieces of paper that have, you know, just the printed drawings that you've right. done. My wife took one home and colored it. For her. <laughs> and it's now on our refrigerator. So there you go. Okay. You've made good. it to the fridge. <laughs> but I mean, that's like the other thing too. Like it's just becoming a family affair now. People, yeah. are, people are taking, I know people that I went to high school with that are now taking their kids to conventions. And my absolutely. wife likes Captain America more than I do now. <laughs> well, I, I love the fact that it's, a, it's only been, I think, relatively recently that they really started wising up and saying like, Hey, let's aim some of these superhero things at five-year-olds too. Yeah, you know, because I had a, a, a good friend of mine. They just had a, a baby, and he's been a you know comic book geek his whole life, and he wanted to indoctrinate his son immediately into. <laughs> and he's like, "Wait, where's the infant stuff of superheroes?" And he found it. I yeah. mean, you know, but twenty years ago, forget it. Yeah, you know, I was like, you know, but now it's so much out there that yeah, people are being raised from birth. You know, they can't even oh, read yeah. yet, and they know who these characters are it's pretty yeah, wild. and you mentioned like guardians of the galaxy how you know 10 years ago nobody would know my four-year-old niece loves the movie <laughs> right. and knows all the characters so i mean it's just crazy Wait, i thought it was, it was a pg-13 movie <laughs> <laughs> uh, she was with a parent or guardian so <laughs> but i like on the opposite end of that too that marvel is actually now starting to I mean, they obviously they gear it towards families with kids and, and adults, but now with the movie, with the Deadpool movie, they're now kind of going more towards just adult. Like, they're, right. it's got the R rating, so kids aren't going to be able to see it. So they're gearing more towards the the fans that were more into that adult writing and well, that adult well, that, humor. That's another thing that a lot of people think of comics is, you know, again, when I was uh, a little kid, people thought comics were only for little kids when mm. they were already being aimed at college students and above and stuff but 
comics is just a medium. Movies are just a medium. You can have G-rated, PG-rated, mm. R-rated, and as long as it's a good story, it'll still work. And there are some characters, like the the new Daredevil series, is very very dark. Uh, yeah. Dark is very violent right. and stuff. That's not really aimed at little kids watching this thing. You know, I'm sure they will. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, a character like Deadpool, he's going to work best with an R-rated mm-hmm. film. You know, if you do the Punisher, you don't want to do a G-rated Punisher. No. It's not no. going to work. You know. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's plenty of room. Again, if they treat it with respect, they do a good job, it can work in any level. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it's definitely been a lot of insight, and I know we've already held you up for like, well, the interview part for an hour, but we've had you longer, <laughs> we've had you longer than that with some other issues maybe we'll talk about later on in the podcast. So, uh, we don't want to hold you up any longer. Um, but we want to encourage people to find you on Twitter, and I, forgive me, I have to look. Oh my at AnchorScott1. And then also they can find out about your uh, uh, your classes at Arts and Fashions Institute.com. I was getting ready to read it. You beat me to it. So That's I'll, why I'm here. I'll Very just good. leave it to you. So, but, uh, but thank and you. And ArtsQuest.org for information right. for, yeah, on, uh, on the rest of it. So, Very good. Thank uh, you but, guys so much. Yeah, we appreciate you spending some time like in person with us doing this. So it was uh, as a comic book reader and obviously Adam and I both big fans of the comic books and everything. I know a lot of people that listen to us are too. It's a lot of great insight that you know, that we didn't really know about. So it's, you know, it works out. Cool. So, uh, all right, guys, stick around, and we'll be back with more of the Showcast when we come back.